listening to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, episode 444. My name is Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we continue our journey with season one of the Fox series Fringe. Uh, Weekly reminder, we record either Monday or Tuesday, so feedback needs to be in by Sunday night, Eastern time. Uh, This time, we're recording on a Monday. Um, Yeah, you guys got off for snow. Oh, no, you didn't. You got off for (laughs) Martin Luther King Jr.'s yeah. birthday. Um, it did happen to snow here. A lot of snow and ice and uh, still a lot of wind. Yeah, yeah, the wind was, was great. Well, yeah, like we just talked about, I had to um, get my daughter to a field hockey game that was two hours away up in Reading, Pennsylvania, and we had to leave at like 7 in the morning. And uh, that was not – it wasn't you know, it wasn't terrible, but, you know, obviously I would – if I had really had a choice, I would, you know, not have gone. But, um, but as it is, I'm glad we went. You know, she played well. The team played well. So, but, uh, but yeah, coming back, uh, the snow and ice was gone. The roads were fine, but the wind was crazy. Oh you know? yeah, really, yeah, really blows your vehicle. You know, if you're not if you're not careful. Um, it, and the other thing, I think I've mentioned this before. It just cracks me up. This is the second, and I'm making air quotes big storm we've had both of them have been like two to four inches and you know if you pay attention to the weather report at all it's like okay two to four inches it's closer to two i'm not pulling my snowblower out to do my driveway you know that that i've I've had it long enough now that the uh the bloom is off you know i got my money's worth (laughs) but to watch people in the neighborhood out there with their snowblowers i'm like dude really just drive yeah. over it'll be gone by the time you come back from work right right but whatever so yeah well you know especially when you first get that snowblower exactly, you know you, sure. like, like you said you want to you want to try and get and we don't really have a lot of opportunities to to use it um you know i have one, well actually i got one of my it was my parents and they got a new one so they gave me their old one and uh, it works just fine but uh you know, every year I'm like, is this going to start? Like, I haven't used it yeah, well, in a year. Maybe sometimes it's like two years before I've actually started it. So it's always like, mm. well, you know what I've been doing? And I don't know if my father suggested this many years ago, but I, I once a month, I'll just go out in the garage and start both of them up. Um, you know, I started yeah. my tractor up the other day and, you know, I'll start the snowblower up in the summer a couple of times, just, you know. Because uh, I've had that where uh, I got a bunch of snow and it won't start. So yeah, yeah, uh, that would if, suck. But I don't have to worry about it. With my, well, I don't, my yard's not big enough for a tractor, but my lawnmower is battery powered, so oh. I don't have. That's one less thing I have to worry about oh, oh. whether it will start when I need to use it at the beginning of the year. It's just as long as you remember to charge that battery, dude. Right. Yeah, that's <laughs> easily done. Though. Yes. All right. Uh, if you want to contact us with your snowblower tips lawn mowing <laughs> tips uh sci-fi tv rewatch at gmail.com is the way you can reach us join the facebook group if you haven't already you know i mentioned last week in the what we're watching that i finally got to see the first episode of the witcher and then i just got bogged down in football battlestar galactica and line of duty that i just never really got to anything else this week i i'm about five episodes into season four of Battlestar Galactica, which is the final season. And, you know, without throwing any spoilers out there uh, for the uninitiated, and if you haven't seen it, 
by now. I don't know what to say, but uh, you know that mystery surrounding Starbuck and Kara Thrace is really front and center now, and and the whole idea about the final five is out in the open now. So it's really getting cool. And you know, like we said about Fringe, it's been so long that I have forgotten a lot of the details here. So really exciting. Getting ready to start season six, which is the final season of Line of Duty, and season five was amazing. So, you know, if you're into the crime drama show, particularly the British, um, check out Line of Duty. It's, it is awesome. Anyway, how about you? Okay. Well, um, are we, are we going to talk about Doctor Who today? Mm. I always forget you. Okay. Okay. So I'll I'll just make my comments very quick. Okay. I just want to put this warning out there. If you are a Disney plus subscriber that, um, don't watch the Eternals. (laughs) uh or as i as i texted my friends congratulations thor the dark world you are no longer the worst movie in the marvel cinematic universe man this movie sucked oh my god i i don't know i shouldn't speak so harshly because i'm sure there there were maybe some redeeming elements but i mean right from the go it was just you know it's, it's difficult to put my finger on exactly where it went wrong but i think it's I, I, my my first thought is that you know it's like the Avengers in a number of ways where you have a group of superpowered people working together, right? But whereas the Avengers had like an origin story movie basically for each of those people, you know, Iron Man, Captain America, Thor, Hulk, um, not Hawkeye, but we saw him before Hawkeye and Black Widow. We don't. They didn't get their own movie, but we had seen them earlier. So these were all characters we were already familiar with. Whereas here, it's a bunch of characters with whom we're completely unfamiliar, and I think they just really don't really get past that. And so we have just really don't care much for these characters at all and everything. So um, that's the start. There's loads of other things, but anyway, if I can warn you away from the Eternals, then my my job here will be done. So. Okay. Well, let's talk about something that we both did like. And well, yeah. Well, let's talk about the Doctor Who New Year's Eve special. Fortunately, one of us remembered that we had planned to talk yeah. about it. Um, <laughs> We've been meaning to talk about this the last two times, and we just kept forgetting. So I actually put it in my notes this time. Yeah. And, and as you said last time, and, and I certainly agree that New Year's Day episode, okay, better than nothing, but I think we all prefer the Christmas episode rather than the New Year's Day episode. Yeah, so, 100%. you know, will, will RTD bring that back now that Chibnall has stepped down? Uh, I think we both kind of feel, yeah, I mean, we don't have anything to go on, but... Uh, right, well, except but, that he's the one who started it, right? Sure, sure, right, they, right, right. Maybe they did it, you know, in the... Just I by I accident. I don't know if they had Christmas specials in the, they did. the first incarnation. No, they there did. were a few accidents that an episode happened to fall on Christmas Day, I think. Yeah. Not a so that was kind of Russell T. Davies' thing was, you know, because even the first, the very first episode was a Christmas episode, right? Yeah. So you have to think that that is something he's definitely going to go back to. Sure. You know, I, 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 Russell T. Davies, if you're listening, I know you're not, but in case you should, take it from us as average Joe fan that yeah. we prefer a hundred times more the Christmas specials to the years. Now, that being said, it's not like we didn't, this was a very good Doctor Who episode. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. I certainly enjoyed it. I mean, it's the first of the 
I guess, trilogy that will uh, say goodbye to Jodie Whittaker's Doctor and Chris Chibnall's run with Doctor Who. But, uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, it's funny. I was talking to uh, a guy that we both worked with, uh, Richard, who is also a huge fan. You know, he said, uh, you know, I, I really liked how they kind of kept the sets were minimal, you know, so they weren't shooting at a bunch. You know, they were just shooting in one, obviously, a studio. You know, they, I don't think they're really shooting at a uh, storage center, but the, you know, the cast was minimal. And he's like, you know, I kind of like that in the COVID era. And I'm like, Oh yeah, you know, I didn't even think about that watching it, but but yeah, this is a really COVID friendly episode with, you know, just a very uh there's, you know, the doctor and her two companions and then there's two other people. Right. And um, and, 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 and the Daleks, I guess. Yeah. Right, and, and we've certainly criticized the writing and, and I think rightly so up until this particular series. And and yet with such a minimal set and, and minimal characters, it, you didn't even notice that. I mean, it didn't seem like a bare bones episode. And yeah, um, you know, I, I think the thing that that I really liked about this episode, and I guess it's one of those damned if you do, damned if you don't. That that really Yaz and Dan, who and certainly this is his only season to this point, they're they're really coming into their own as characters. And it, it, they both really shine in this episode. And, you know, we, we've talked about Yaz's relationship with the doctor. And you and I kind of talked about this off the air last week about, you know, how we feel about the crush that she seems to have on the doctor. And, of course, the doctor's obliviousness to that. And right. um, I, I guess like what I said, I, I you know, I'm not opposed to it, but I really like the idea that she saw the doctor as more of a mentor rather than a romantic partner. And yeah, you know, I think even with other, um, you know, uh, companions in the past that we've never, I, I mean, I've never been against it, but I've also never 100% loved the I've got this hopeless crush on the doctor thing, especially, you know, Rose and Martha Jones, who were two. Very, very strong companions uh, were great. Obviously, many people would name Rose as as their favorite ever. But then, you know, it's sometimes that 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 mooning for the doctor type thing can get kind of a little bit tiring and everything. But yeah, sure. Um, but so you know, but in this case, actually, by bringing it up now, they really don't have you know a whole season to to keep coming back. Right? They've only got two more uh, specials. So. Um, you know, there's there's not going to be this extended thing where we just have to see shot after shot of Yaz, you know, longingly looking at the doctor. You know, and it's also it's out there thanks to our our Liverpool friend uh, Dan, who's just like you know refuses to allow this thing just to sit um, unnoticed, untalked about, and he he brings it up directly to both of them. Right, it's like he he points it out to the doctor, and she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, you do. Yeah. <laughs> it was just so great when he said that. So, yeah. and and the other thing we don't really know is, and, and, although I think you told me you you did read it somewhere, I, I was going to say we don't know whether either companion is coming back because it's not unheard of for the doctor to change, but the companions to stay the same. So, right, a la um, 
Well, it happened with Rose when when yeah. uh, Eccleston, uh, right, right, you know, transformed into uh, and when uh, Matt Matt's, Smith, yeah, right, yeah. So now, again, I haven't been reading up on you know what news is out there about you know the future of of those two actors, but but certainly we shall see. Um, well, I know John Bishop uh, has a talk show now, so yeah, that's I'm pretty true. sure both of them are. Are I've, I've I'm not 100 percent sure. But I'm pretty sure I read that neither of the companions are coming back. But I'm not positive about that. And I'm pretty sure John Bishop is not, especially now he's got his own you know show going now and everything. Yeah, and that's um, a shame. He's great. He is great. Yeah, it, it was uh, really really good. And um, and like you said, Yaz um, finally kind of. Yeah, before there were two other companions, and and we had talked before. What we felt that probably out of the three of them, Yaz was the one that was uh, generally getting short shrift on lines and story. But now that you know, even with Dan there, you know, Yaz is really getting a lot of uh, you know a lot of lines, a lot of of story time in there, um, and it's it's great, you know. But then you know, so at least I guess we appreciate the the what we got and everything. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I mean, I, I don't want to extend this out. Um, you know, that's pretty much all I want to say about the episode. Well, I just wanted to say one thing is that uh, Ashling B, who is the, um, you know, the, I can't remember her character's name, but she owns the, uh, the storage facility where this whole thing takes place. And she's, uh, uh, at least in, in the UK, in Ireland, she is very well-known comedi- comedian. She is absolutely hilarious if you heard her stand-up is on netflix so if you have a chance to go check it out you should she is a complete riot uh she was also in plebs a show that i really liked she was in like two episodes of that she's just a very very funny and she her that comic timing that she brought to this you could you can tell when they have someone in there who's just like just like a pro you know like i mean they're, they're all they are the characters they have but sometimes they get a you know a a supporting character that just really almost kind of outshines the doctor a little bit and i think this is one of those cases where um ashling b was just so freaking hilarious and amazing uh it was really really great to see her in this one yeah and i apologize for not knowing the name of the actor that played her only customer who right. always shows up on New Year's Eve? He was great as well. So yeah, uh, yeah. well, yeah, I think he's really both... good. It's not as famous, but but he right. was great. Yeah, right. So we're looking forward to the Easter episode. I don't. That's what they're calling it. Nobody knows when the actual air date will be at this point, but they're saying spring at this point. So, cool. All right. Well, let's get to Fringe season one, episode six, titled "The Cure," not the band. Although, if you'd like to sing a few bars of a cure song go right ahead i don't yeah, know any i don't know i'm not a huge cure fan yeah, my like brother-in-law is i like huge fan really? uh written by felicia d henderson is your and brother Brad- younger than you yeah oh yeah yeah he's uh, okay yeah yeah he graduated from college in like 84 so okay and brad caleb kane directed by bill eagles aired october 21st 2008 so, you know, we have another monster of the week type episode, which is fine. I think it's a step up from last week's. But, dude, one of the first things that, that occurs to me, why are all these pattern-like events taking place in the Boston area? I mean, <laughs> right. are they also taking place around the world and that there are other 
fringe teams investigating them as well? Or is there something about Walter Bishop and Massive Dynamic that causes them to be centered here? Which I guess you could argue makes sense. I mean, you know, Massive Dynamic is massive. <laughs> you know, it's right. a multi-billion dollar corp. So. Sure. And we, we really get a feeling that Massive Dynamic is some way, you know, they just keep coming back to it, you know. That in some way that the I don't I don't know if I want to use the word involved, but there's somehow either central or tangential to all this stuff that's going on, um, and of course Walter Bishop, you know, I mean, when every one of these pattern events happens, and it just so happens that it's something that he was working on before, you know, it's not too long before, like, hmm, that's a that's unique, but but yeah, they, they have mentioned that uh, these things are things are happening all over the place and. Um, so I think it's kind of a little of both that this is probably one of several teams out there and also that there are some very Boston specific things going on. That's, that's the reason why all this stuff is happening here. Yeah. And and there are obvious connections to the X-Files and I'm going to mention one in, in a few minutes, but we wonder whether they are going to end up traveling the way Scully and Mulder did uh, for some of their cases. So, you know, we will see. I mean, the other thing, and it's it's a major part of the story, Olivia's clearly bothered throughout the episode. In, mm-hmm. in, in fact, I mean, she really, right from the start, it's like, God, Olivia, what a dick you're being. And Yeah, know, like Walter's just humming. She's right. just like, Walter, you know, like, but yeah, you, we've all had those days where we're just triggered, sure. right? Where we're just like, and every little thing that, even things that are completely innocuous can potentially set, set us off. And we, we recognize that that is pretty uncharacteristic of Olivia, but you're absolutely right. And I think finally when Peter calls her out on it is when she's able to finally talk about you know because like part of the thing is when you're in a pissy mood or when you're in a i don't say she's a pissy mood because she has a very justifiable reason for being angry on this day but when you're you know you're in a bad mood or you're or anything keeping it in is only going to exacerbate the problem right like if you at least talk about it you're, you're going to deal with it a little bit and maybe alleviate it a little bit but if you don't talk to anyone about it then it's just gonna you know get worse and worse which I yeah. said, well, I use the word exacerbate. Yeah, and, and there's this clear emotional turmoil, uh, you know, that we see right from the start, and you know, we find out later it's it's her birthday, and we're thinking like, uh, okay, but but as you imply, we we find out the real reason behind it. But Olivia Dunham is a serious character in general. She certainly right. is lightening up now that she's around Walter Bishop and and Peter, uh, so. You know, certainly we've seen that in her character. So at first, we're wondering whether it's just something about the case that's causing this. But right at the start, you know, the 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 scene when they when they uh, go to the diner and Walter's humming, and that's kind of what sets her off. And she tells Peter, "Short fuse today." So is that, I, I guess she's warning him, you know, what to expect, but Broyles then confronts her about the way she confronted. Esther Brooke, who, who is obviously a major character in this episode. And, you know, I want to bring up the X-Files connection at this point because he's trying to get it through to her that, number one, you know, this task force is operating on a, 
you know, a very thin thread to begin with. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of people that want us to fail. There are a lot of people that are looking for a reason to shut us down, just like the X-Files. And it's something that Scully and Mulder, they kind of get right from the start, even though Mulder, you know, w- would certainly go out on a limb more often than Scully would. And, and of course, Scully was initially paired up with him to keep an eye on him but but still it'll be interesting to see whether she takes to heart what Broyles tells her because if i can't trust you to control your own passion then i can't trust you and i think it's a fair point i mean i I don't think he's being harsh no no not at all Uh, i mean you know granted why we see it from olivia's perspective so we not only that what Olivia hasn't seen and what we have is Esterbrook actually in the lab being front and center for these, these experiments. So we know this guy is really bad news, you know? And so when she confronts him, we think, well, she's justified because we know he's the bad guy, you know, but well, well, yeah, but at this point, all we really have to go on is that goatee he's wearing. I mean, other than that, you know, we don't, you know, she confronts him at that, that meeting, you know, that, that uh, kind of can't think what they're called, uh, but convention. Uh, convention, but, but, it, you know, she don't really have any evidence at that point. Right. So, but I'm just saying that we, as the audience suspect, no, sure. he's, you know, yeah, yeah, we, yeah. we are, we know it, but she doesn't. Right. right? Uh, I mean, she, she knows, it, but she doesn't, you know, we are a hundred percent certain. So when she goes after him, we, as the audience feel that she's justified because we we know what she doesn't know that this you know this guy is is the really the bad guy mm-hmm. um so yeah you're but yeah so Broyles is 100 percent correct in saying you gotta dial it down you know like you can't just go after a guy accuse him of stuff in the middle of a convention you know especially a guy who's super well connected and uh you know and, and that's also part of when the difference between someone who has to, to run the organization versus one of the, the people in the field, right? That he has to see some of these larger issues at play here. And he's got to get Olivia to understand it because, you know, they can't help anyone if they're shut down, right? Well, right. And after that conversation is basically cuffs Esterbrook. And, and granted, she, she has enough evidence to arrest him at that point. But it, it, what what a wonderful uh, exchange when she tells him, you know, you know, you may think you're going to win, you may think you're going to you're holding all the cards, but you know, I'm going to walk at, walk you out here in handcuffs. I tipped off the press. What do you think that's going to do to your company's opinion of you? You just see the deflated look mm-hmm. in his face w- when he realizes um, I didn't win this one, did I? Yeah. And it's like no, but. Again, she's got to face broils, and, and, and I love it when she says, you can fire me, but I hope you don't. And then his closing thing is something about, yeah, well, you know, you, you're, we're not done with you. I'll see you tomorrow. Yeah. Well, it's like, now, I'm not going to let you off that easy. Like, right, right. And you might, you know, that, that would be what for you would be the easy way out. But no, you're going to have to work through this. And one way is, you know, you're going to have to. You're going to have to mature a little bit emotionally, right? Yeah. But, you know, she finally tells Peter, who has had enough, and I love the way he handles it. I mean, you know, their relationship is to this point where, no, I'm not going to let you just 
keep doing this? What's the problem? And y- y- you can tell she's just not used to opening up, but, but I guess she feels comfortable enough telling him the truth. A- again, this is one of those details I'd forgotten. I'm like, she killed her father. Um, I guess she no, got she away. Yeah, well, right, right. But when she says, I pulled the trigger twice, yeah. I'm thinking like, oh, damn. And then, of course, yeah. she says that he didn't die. But I, I guess, what do we make of that card under the door at the end of the episode? Well, you, you know, we, we get to the end of the episode, and I think, you know, Peter says, you know, no card this year, huh? You know, because the stepfather, you know, sends her a card every birthday which is part of why she's so triggered today because he sends her a card just basically saying i'm still alive i'm still out here you know right and with that that veiled threat that even though i mean he's older and probably you know can't do anything to her wouldn't be even if he wanted to uh do anything he wouldn't would not be able to but just this idea and and again like the the psychological kind of you know, power he has over her. It's just like kind of a reminder of that. And so I, I guess that's what the card is, even though it's not signed or anything. Um, and it's slipped under the door. So that's even more of a threat because that means, you know, I'm here. I'm in yeah. Boston, right? Right. And we see at least twice, maybe even three times, but at least twice her going through her mail and we know that's what she's looking for, which then implies that he usually mails the card. But here, as you said, it slipped under the door. So does that mean he's nearby? I mean, I guess we could argue he had somebody do it just to freak her out. But I think, you know, from a narrative perspective, it, it probably makes a lot more sense that he's in town. But, right. you know, we shall see. Um, yeah, I can't remember if if we... If we see more, I, I know like later episodes delve into her childhood. I can't remember whether we have any episodes that, you know, where she um, has to confront her stepfather. But, you know, if, if watching at the time, at this point, I'm, I'm thinking that, yeah, that's, that's going to happen probably. You know? Yeah. Now, the other part of the story is, of course, Esther Brooks' experimentations. And Olivia says to him in in one of their exchanges, I guess it was at the convention, that science and technology are catching up with our imagination, which makes all this Frankenstein stuff possible. And of course, that's a recurring theme in Fringe, as it is in in a lot of science fiction, the responsibility or lack thereof that, that scientists and science often have so the opening scene of the of the show i thought was really great it was an extended scene we see those two guys in hazmat suits dump that young woman in the middle of the road and you know she gets in the diner and i guess what strikes me about that scene in the diner is how kind the guy that works there is to her Mm -hmm. um i mean he look he probably didn't just start working there. He has to know, as we know, this woman doesn't have any money. I'm not even, right. you, you know, what can I get you to eat? And, and you know, he brings down the oyster crackers and just Love really kind things. to her. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I, again, I started thinking like, I wonder if they have those at Shoppers. I'll have to yep, check next yep. time. <laughs> you know, and, and then he, you know, he tells the uh, the cook in the back to call Marty, who who turns out to be the the beat cop for their area. And you know, while he 
starts out being really kind to her. I, I guess I thought he accelerated the situation more quickly than it really needed to be. And, yeah. And, and I don't think he meant to do it. It, it just things got out of hand so quickly right. that you know, that was really what, what happened here. Well, because he says, you know, like, I, I feel like there's a step between come with me. If you're a cop, you say come with me. I mean, that's not good. If, if he had yeah. said, hey, l- listen, I'm going to call someone yeah. who's, who can come and you can talk, you know, or something like that, you know, like to kind of, obviously she's in distress. And, and I don't, yeah, I agree that I don't think he handled it very well at, um, at uh, deflating the situation, you know, uh, yeah. Uh, taking the tension out of it. Um, yeah. I mean, he started fine, but you know, it escalates into a fifty-one-fifty call. Which actually, if you watch on Amazon, they have these little things that that will pop up on the screen, like little details. And I mean, I think a lot of people know the fifty-one-fifty is, is the LAPD's uh, call sign for um, you know somebody in, in uh, mental distress. Not necessarily for Boston, so that may have been right. you know inaccurate. But we also know more importantly so, that fifty one fifty. We'll just go ahead. Sorry, fifty one fifty is the model app that Eddie Van Halen developed, and is now made by PV and is just a monster amp. But I digress. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I was about to say also that that was uh, the first Sammy Hagar Van Halen album. Fifty one fifty. Yeah, yeah, it was the title of it. Which was uh, which was great. It was a really good album. I'm I'm still a David Lee Roth Van Halen guy, but uh, 5150 is a heck of an album. That was yeah. that was really good. So yeah. Um. So well, wait, you just know, a, uh, really quick. I was going to say. So oh yeah. Um. So I was like, what, what was I going to say? You got me thinking about Van Halen, and all of the thoughts just left my head. One thing you notice that Fringe does is oftentimes when you get like whatever a monster of the week type episode and you know the first scene the monster attacks right and people get hurt slash killed i think fringe does a a pretty good job of like humanizing the victims so we don't just see you know we we kind of feel the loss of these people right they did on the bus right as well where even just in in like a couple short things that we we see the the people on the bus as human beings and not just faceless nameless victims and when they were on the bus, there wasn't any dialogue. But here in this episode, there's actually uh, dialogue that, like you said, like the the guy who works there and and the cook who no one likes his onion soup and and then Marty and everything. So we we really kind of get you know a sense that that you know it's like these things you know, we we know that these pattern things are are horrific that are happening. But when we kind of understand and and the and the, I don't know the word I'm looking for. I, I'm trying to say appreciate, but that's not the word I'm looking for. Uh, but we have an appreciation of the the, the victims as human beings uh, right from the start. Then then we even more feel the the horror of the things that these people who perpetrate these these uh, incidents. Yeah, and then of course the monsters are totally innocent as well to this point. You know, victims of this human experimentation that that right seems to be the 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 basis for you know all of these um, experiments that are going on walter discovers that the 
head is missing from the victim, which I guess is, you know, a nod to scanners. Was that Cronenberg that made scanners? Yeah, no, yeah. You know, the whole head exploding, which yes. is, uh, yeah, you know, it never gets old, as long as it's not overused. So, <laughs> right. It's been a while. Right. But, well, uh, like this one was, it was jarring enough, right? Because she's against the, the door, and all of a sudden just, it, you know, just we see this big mass of blood, and we, we get that her, her head just blew up. And then, of course, later we get to see Walter working on the body, which is just the lower part of her jaw. And, right. And, and I guess he's got Peter holding some sort of a clamp and Peter says, you know, couldn't you just do this? And he goes, yeah, but I wanted to have you close by to talk to you. <laughs> but, the, you know, and this would fall under, you know, the heading I've mentioned many times before where I'll say something about a show, a problem I have. And my wife's like, okay, you're okay with time travel. You're okay with, you know, whatever. But you have a problem with this. Y- you know, Walter immediately looking at the body and knowing what disease she suffers from, knowing that she's in remission, and not only does he recognize it, Peter recognizes it. I, I don't know. I, I You know, I, I know Peter's got a genius IQ. I know he knows a lot about a lot of things, but... I guess I thought this was maybe a little bit too far, you know. So, again, a little thing, I guess. But Well, it's just like, a, you know, a, a disease that you know, I had never heard of um, outside Fringe, obviously. So, right. Um, well, yeah, it's like the, so I, I could see that. Yeah, I mean, it's like the husband said, only, what, 300 people suffer from it. So, anyway. But when they posit that she was being held against her will injected with drugs and 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 placed in the field as a test that made more sense i mean given you know the marks on her wrist and and you know the injection marks that we see you know on her arm as well so the idea that she was placed in the field as a test to me that's not a leap because certainly they're aware that somebody's experimenting on these people and when you experiment on people, as, as Walter says, you either do a lab trial or a field trial. And given that we found her outside in the field, yep. then, you know, that certainly makes sense. But we learn a second woman's gone missing, same disease as Emily. And, you know, it, it takes us to that scene, you know, which I guess kind of follows along what we were saying about Olivia and her, her conversations with Broyles. They pull up to the house of you know, the, uh, the victim's family and Peter recognizes right away. It's awake. No, we're not going in there. They, they went to visit the husband was one thing. Yeah. Um, actually they, they went to visit him after, right. They went and crashed the wake. Right. 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 And a- a- again, I mean, it was in terms of Olivia and her emotions, I think it's unfair to say she wasn't in control, in control of her emotions, because this is a scene that really could have ended up as a disaster had she called the FBI and all that. But when the mom comes into the room immediately, oh, it, it, I can't remember the girl's name. The second, um, Olivia, no, not Olivia. Claire, Williams. Some, the second Claire Williams. Was right. As soon as she hears, oh, Claire, something's wrong with Claire. And it, it suddenly the tenor completely changes. But it could have gone the other way just as easily. It could very easily, yes. So, well, yeah, it's it's you know, and like we, I mean, like what, what worse thing to crash, right? You know, 
Like, if you can think of the things to just gate crash at, Awake has got to be kind of up there with, like, the worst things you can just... And then to just sprint up to her room and not even come in and say, I'm sorry, I'm with the FBI. I just have a... I know this is a terrible time. You know, but in, skipping all that and just going straight up to the girl's room, like... Like, do you think no one noticed? Do you think no one would say to the mother, hey, uh, two strange people came in and ran straight upstairs. Uh, you might want to go check it out. Right. You know? and, and that's so. almost the kind of thing Peter would do, right? He, he's willing to pick a lock or break a window or whatever, and, and Olivia would stand back. Oh, okay. Not here. And, 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 of course, as we said, Emily's mother ends up really helping them, shows the, them the 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 group picture that tells them that Claire's husband lied about knowing Emily. So, uh, you know, that, that, yeah, which you're like, dude, this is the FBI asking you. Yeah. But you how know, are you going to lie, man? <laughs> you know, like, but I think it, it, when you see them the second time and, and again, the, the makeup people, I mean, this dude looks like he has just been crying for a week solid and he's distraught. And his explanation, I think, makes sense that when I heard you were the FBI, I was afraid you would shut down, you know, this you know, avenue of treatment because it's illegal. And I think that's a valid argument. Now, again, you could argue by the same token, well, dude, your wife's missing. Whatever information you can give them is going to help exactly. find her. It's, I can understand him feeling like he had no good options there of what to tell them. Yeah, yeah but, you know, like I go to, and again, like, you know, they, they got to fill up, you know, 45 minutes or 50 yeah. minutes or whatever. So, you know, I guess you don't want to make it too easy for them. But still, you know, like, realistically, it's like, yeah, like, I mean, I'm going with what you said there. Like, your wife is missing Anything that you can say that would help them find you, you don't think this experimental drug she was on has anything to do with her going missing, dude? Like, come on, especially when you know that the other girl is also missing, right? Or it's died. Actually, I don't know if he knew that or not. I'm sure he must have, but, but you know, e- e- either way, well, she, yeah, because they tell him, right? They show him the picture. Sure. And he acts like he doesn't know her. So, I mean, there's obviously a connection here. And so I just think it's just completely unrealistic that, like, someone would, you know, lie to the FBI when he's holding information that could be, you know, very pertinent to them recovering his wife, which is the, the you know, what he's upset about. Yeah. And, and, and given that – and you're, that makes perfect sense, what you said. And, uh, you know, the, the interesting thing about all of this is – it, it becomes clear that these two young women are being developed as weapons. And uh, Esterbrook says the last one was a test. This one counts, meaning, you know, they're, they're planning to put Claire into the field. And as, as it turns out, uh, apparently they've sold Claire to, you know, the highest bidder or, or whatever to be used as a weapon. But, but the interesting thing is what we find out is that the drugs that cured her disease also made her a weapon. And we see the administering of the drugs and, and, and the, uh, the, the tech, uh, Esther Brooks assistant or whatever she is, administers the red, which she says will make you feel better, and the blue will make you special. What is it with red and blue? 
you know, yeah. take the red <laughs> pill, take the. <laughs> okay. yep, um, yep. You wonder whether this was something that Esterbrook stumbled on, you know, whether they were developing a drug because that happens all the time. I happened to take a, a medication that was originally developed for one thing, and then they found out it really worked for what I needed for. So, you know, that's not necessarily out of the question, but what's not out of the question is fine. You, you realize it can make somebody into a weapon. That doesn't mean you then proceed and continue down that line of experimentation. So, you know, but, uh, Dr. Patel, you know, Esterbrook, he, he, is all bravado in that first exchange with Olivia. And then, you know, even in the second, I've, my, you know, I've got a team of lawyers that make charge more in an hour than you make in a year. It's like, and she's like, yeah, well, you better call them and bring them down here because you're yeah. going to need them. But what is going on here that Dr. Patel feels the need to kill himself rather than what face Esterbrook? Or is there somebody scarier than Esterbrook? Well, that he he says to well, right. Um, well, you know, Esterbrook, and again, he just doesn't seem a very intimidating guy. No, you know, like they looked at. But obviously, he is very wealthy, very powerful. So we should probably be is meant to be intimidating. Um, I guess you know they they gave him the goatee. Maybe they could have done a little bit better job of making him look more evil or something like that. But but yeah, I mean, Patel says uh, you don't know you know who you're dealing with here or something like that. I can't remember what the, exactly the line was. You know, and then, yeah, he, uh, you have no idea who you're dealing with. Yeah, that's what he says. You know, like, A, why do you have a gun in your filing cabinet? <laughs> right. Why are you pulling it on an FBI agent, dude? Like, yeah, that, and, and, then, he, and then he shoots himself and it's just like, right. he's got to be thinking, what the hell just happened? <laughs> you know, right. Like, now, now, as you said, Esterbrook doesn't necessarily come off as being all of that impeachment intimidating outside of his bravado but maybe patel knows the people that esterbrook is going to sell this technology to and that he knows they are the ones that i need to be afraid of i i think either is a possibility and you know i don't think it's probably worth you trying to figure out the the actual answer there obviously they're they're stuck in terms of the investigation of finding Claire Williams, Peter comes up with, you know, a suggestion. Why don't you go talk to Nina? You know, Massive Dynamics got their hand in everything. And I was a little surprised that Olivia didn't just jump at that suggestion. I mean, what would be wrong with that? Um, well, I, I think, and, um, you know, Olivia is, is probably... Well, not probably. I mean, obviously, she's right. And thinking that, you know, I mean, she's dealt with massive dynamics. She already knows that, you know, Nina's not going to give up something without getting something in well, return. Well, that's true. Yeah. And, 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 and as it turns out, that's what happens. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what Peter is like, oh, I'll just give you some information about something in South America. All right, no biggie. You know, like for him, it's, it's you know, like really, and I guess it's like kind of like, his first taste, right? Like she's just going to get him hooked. And the first thing he has to do for her is not going to be anything like that big. Now that she's kind of got her hooks in him, the next thing might, you know, be, you know, the next thing, and the next thing is put the potential for this to build up. I think that what Olivia is kind of a little 
nervous about. I mean, she would rather keep her distance and but without getting involved because she sees um, how dangerous massive dynamic can be potentially, um, especially when at, at the end of this whole thing, like they're the ones who really make out from uh, Esther Brooks arrest and everything. Right. right like, but, and, and that was her decision. And, and I guess, I mean, I, I agree with everything you said. I, I guess I would still go back to Olivia and rightly so is focused on saving first finding and then saving this young woman so you do whatever it takes and and i get that's maybe a line she doesn't want to cross which i i guess makes the makeup of the team so perfect because peter's like screw this and he runs out and and we get that great scene with uh, nina where they're having the chat and he suggests intrepus is conducting illegal human trials and I'm thinking, as I'm sure everybody's thinking, like, well, yeah, so is Massive Dynamic, but right. okay, whatever. And and she's reluctant to say anything. But then she says, you know, I knew you probably don't remember, but I knew you as a child, you know, right right at this very uh, equestrian center. And, and, you know, whether he doesn't remember or he's just too focused on the matter at hand, that pretty much doesn't go anywhere. But the, as you said, she brings up uh, certainly an area – that he can help her someday, maybe sooner, maybe later, whatever. And and I'm going to come to you for a favor. But I think the perfect thing, though, is when he gets back to the lab, gives her the address. Where'd you get that? I, uh, you know, is <laughs> the thing about oh, the right. satellites some, can some read friend heat of mine, right? Yeah, <laughs> right. No, I don't have a friend in what. It's not NSA. It was some some other acronym. Yeah. And he says, Oh no, no, my buddy hacked into their system. <laughs> I'm like, okay. And, yeah. and, and Walter's like, uh, wait a minute. No, it doesn't give up. Pete, Walter, stop. And, and Olivia's yeah. already on the phone at that point, so she doesn't hear. But I just thought that was brilliantly handled. And, I mean, of course, Olivia puts two and two together, and she confronts Peter with that. And, and what did you promise her? I'm a big boy. I can handle myself. So yeah. I, I think it, it's something that, as you – said we're going to address at some point whether it's in season one remains to be seen we got a lot of episodes to go in season one so and then that line at the end look and we've talked about the shipping angle when uh, peter and olivia are you know outside of his hotel i almost thought it's like how could you two not kiss but But they don't. They're doing the slow burn, man. The yeah. Slow burn. But yeah. I mean, we, we can't. Obviously, it's there. Obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we're, we're shipping these too hard at this point. So, As he says, you've been looking out for me. I'm just returning the favor. And, I mean, there's certainly truth to that. But So, uh, anything else uh, about? Well, there's just one thing, especially with that scene. Because she says, you know, you should go upstairs before Walter falls asleep in his bed. I'm like, well, We've only seen Peter sleeping on the couch. Right. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Just the, the facility where they go is in Framingham, which is really close to where my brother-in-law and sister-in-law live up there. So it's funny because they, when, the, when Fringe was first on, they were still here in Maryland. Um, so a lot of these places in, in Massachusetts I didn't recognize, but now that they live up there, we've been up there a couple of times. I'm recognizing a lot of these uh, towns in the, the Boston area. So. Well, you know, the one thing I did forget, 
I forgot to look for the observer. Oh yeah, and it uh, he was definitely in there somewhere, but I didn't see him. Well, I see. I forgot to even look for him until it was like ten minutes left to go in my rewatch. <laughs> so um, I right. thought, well, I'm not going back. But like you said, yeah, I'm sure there was a scene when when he appeared. But uh, all right, well, why don't we hear what Fred's got for us in the feedback section, and we will be right back. Hello, Dave and Wayne, and all listeners to Sci-Fi TV Rewards. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Fringe, Season 1, Episode 6. I have the idea that this will be a short feedback, because if I look back to this episode, I would conclude or say it's a typical Fringe episode as if I were somebody who knows the whole series, which is not true. So the whole setup of this episode is quite fringe-like, and this is my fifth episode. So it's a bit the story of the week. Although we get something of a red line, because Peter is talking to Nina Sharp, that's one thing, and Olivia told Peter how she shot her stepfather. And at the end we have a little hint towards the future or something like that with that letter that she receives under her door. But is this indeed from her stepfather or from somebody else? Furthermore, I didn't go too much for this microwave waves from the brain from somebody. But okay, that's also typically fringe. That will be all. Greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. What? Oh, that doesn't bother you? Are you kidding? That man falls asleep counting pi to the 101st digit. That's soothing. Walter! Was I humming? I thought it was in my head. It wasn't. Give me Olivia. Nothing sings like a killable. Unique pitch. Nothing else in nature quite like it. Fred, I know what you mean about typical fringe. And as a first-time viewer, Fred, you maybe are thinking, hopefully it's not going to be like this week after week after week. And even having seen the series myself, and, and I'm sure Wayne would agree, uh, yeah, we're, we're feeling it as well, even on a rewatch. So, mm-hmm. you know, get back to some of the mythology with, um, you know, Walter and William Bell and, you know, something. But Well, when I, when I think about what I loved about Fringe, I don't think about – I realize I'm not thinking – early season one episodes i'm starting to realize yeah exactly um not that this it's bad they're definitely they're really good like this was a good episode but when i think of fringe these episodes are not emblematic of of like the when it the show really kicks in right when it really finds its voice i guess right it's a lot of character development and that's certainly worthy of you know, airtime, and, and and certainly we get some of Olivia's backstory, which we didn't really have 
before this point. So we, you know, understand that she grew up with an abusive stepfather and a mother that apparently just took it. The fact that she shot him twice and doesn't necessarily it doesn't surprise us that she eventually becomes an FBI agent and and tries to help, um, you know, people that in many cases can't help themselves. So what do you think about a grade? Maybe a B plus, I guess, maybe for this one. Yeah, that's what I was thinking as well. Not quite an A minus, but but certainly a yeah. step up from last week for sure. I, I think it was a better storyline. I thought the acting was a little bit better. Um, and, I mean, the acting's always good. Don't again. I don't mean to imply that it's not. So. Yeah, I mean, it was it was very similar to last week's. You know, in, in a lot of ways, they like said you know kind of monster of the weekish and everything that. Um, but I, I think this is a show that is, you know, finding its finding itself, you know, early on and and establishing, as you said, establishing a lot of things. So you know, maybe these early episodes are not the, the best fringe episodes. They're pretty good and better than a lot of others. But you know, you anticipate the the story kind of picking up, and, and especially as we start to find out more about like big picture, what's going on. Right. Right. Because we're just seeing the little day to day things. We know there is a, a bigger picture at play here. We just don't know what it is yet. Right. Right. Um, I, just one point I want to bring up. It's I had it in my spoiler zone notes, but it's not really spoiler zone. Uh, when Olivia confronts Esterbrook and you're going to love this. When Olivia <laughs> confronts Esterbrook at the end. She tells him that his assistant, Elizabeth Sarnoff, gave you know, me the information that I have. Well, Elizabeth Sarnoff was one of the producers of Lost and worked side-by-side uh, side with J.J. Abrams, so I'm sure they just threw that right. in there. I'll let, I'll let that one pass, but you know, we're, not, all right. we're not supposed to say the L word, I, Dave. I know. All right, well, let's head to the spoiler zone, and as we say each week, if you have not seen the entire series Stop listening at this point unless you want to be spoiled. So, again, there's not a lot that I felt was spoiler zone material. The only thing I thought about was when Nina tells Peter that they spent time together right. at the equestrian center, we're thinking like, okay, well, did they? No, you didn't. Yeah. <laughs> or was it the other Peter? <laughs> right. <laughs> now, does she know about the switch? That's what I, I, I can't remember whether she knows that Walter went into the other universe and brought back another Peter. I, yeah, I would assume I, she I'm does. I'm pretty sure she does, yeah, but I can't, I can't remember either. I just assume Nina knows everything that's going on. So. Because, um, you know, how do you, hide the son, uh, how do you hide the fact that your son died and then suddenly you know weeks later he got better he got better <laughs> right yeah i came up with a i kept him on ice and i came up with a cure yeah so so yeah and and we don't see any reaction out of peter and as she says i think she even mentions around age nine or something like that well you know age nine uh, i mean look you get to my age um Okay, yeah, age nine, I remember a lot, but you, certainly things are getting fuzzy. But, but obviously, Peter's much younger than I am, so age nine wasn't all that long ago. 
So does he just not remember or he's so focused on the moment? Uh, Don't know, but we don't see any reaction out of him like, oh, yeah, I remember. Because I I think riding horses for most people would be memorable because most of us that grow up middle class, we're not going to the equestrian center, you know? Right. So, yeah. But if it's not you. If that was another kid, exactly, then he's not going to remember, right? You know, and I think Nina probably knows that. Okay. Another thing, like what what I thought, a kind of a spoiler zone thing, is you know Olivia is obviously super motivated and focused on solving this crime, as she is every week. But this yeah. one, she's even more so, where she's lashing out at Peter and lashing out at, at Walter. And I'm like thinking, you know, I think there's. And, and I remembered it, and I actually looked it up to make sure I was right. You know, she was a child. Not only she was an abused child in, in by her stepfather, but also she was experimented, experimented on, on yeah. as a child as well. So um, and I'm pretty sure she doesn't remember that. But that's I, I feel that certainly is also this, you know, another trigger for her that gets her so emotional about uh, this particular um uh, a case. Yeah, and, and I think we see through Emily and Claire in this episode that they've done something to mess with their memories of what's being done to them, which would then follow they did the same thing to Olivia, but that maybe there's right. that subconscious memory that they couldn't completely erase that, as you sure. said, really triggers her to, you know, you know, to want to help. You know, to this point, well, it hasn't been only women. I mean, there was certainly the guy last week, the uh, delivery right. guy. So, uh, you know, but but these certainly these innocent victims of human experimentation. Anyway, um, that's all I've got for Spoiler Zone. Yeah, that's all I got, too. Okay. All right. Good episode. Um, yeah, I'm really enjoying this rewatch for sure. Um, yeah. And, and uh, it's it's one of those shows that, yeah, definitely, definitely deserves a rewatch. And as we've said, it took us this long. Oh, well. All right. Well, anyway, that will do it. Better for- late than never. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. That will do it for this episode of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. Thank you for joining us. Love to hear what you think about Fringe. Anything else going on in your genre world? Join the Facebook group if you haven't already. Sci-Fi TV Rewatch at gmail.com is how you can reach us. We'll be back next week to talk about Season 1, Episode 7 of Fringe. But until then... You know, Dave, I'm really starting to become a little concerned for you, man, because the tension in your voice indicates you're carrying a tremendous psychic burden. <laughs>